BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For someone who hadn't really dealt with like any mental health issues throughout my entire life, I full on went to anxiety and depression and like trying to figure out Am I going to die? It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for, but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Are you ready? Hi, and welcome to a brand new episode of Almost Adulting, previously known as Too Tired to Be Crazy, with me, your host, your bestie, and your big sister, Violet Benson. We have a full episode every Thursday, and now I've also added every Tuesday, it's a five-minute episode that's called What I Learned This Week, dash whatever I learned that week. This week, on this Tuesday, it's What I Learned This Week, Toxic Friendships, and it is five signs you're currently in a toxic friendship. So definitely check it out if you're suspecting that you potentially could be in one and figure out if those five signs apply to you. Next week, I will have part two. Today's special episode is with one of my friends who is also the CEO of FabFitFun. But today's a very serious episode. He shares with us his story about getting cancer and life after cancer. So I'm really looking forward to this episode with Daniel. But first, before we get started, a few things. Number one, I did not realize what a big deal allergy medicines were. I almost forgot for a second how allergic I am to my cat until the last two days. I completely forgot to take my allergy medicine thinking I'm fine, thinking like, does it even work? I kid you not, I've been waking up with the puffiest eyes. I could barely breathe in my home. I'm suddenly noticing how much cat hair is everywhere, which sucks because I love pancakes, my Scottish fold so much. I mean, the joy of coming home to a little fluffy floofer with their little triangle ears just waiting for you at the door because they're hungry and they need you to feed them and then they need you to leave them alone. It is amazing. It's something about a cat loving you that makes it so much more rewarding than a dog loving you because dogs are like men. They love anything that moves, anything that will give them attention for two seconds and pet them. You know, dogs will stick around, especially if you feed them. Cats, they're snobbish. Maybe more like women. It's kind of like, touch me, but don't touch me. Figure out what I want, but move away. Okay, come closer. Okay, never mind. Okay, let's hang out. Wait, no, under my terms, now I need some space. So then when they actually love you, you're like, yes, I finally earned their love. Kind of like with my father. So yeah, maybe that's why I love pancakes. But yeah, I love her so much, but the past two days I've been suffering. I've literally been sneezing every two seconds. And one of those annoying people that sneezes four times in a row, you know, after like the second time enough, first you're like, bless you, bless you. And then the third time you're like, are you serious? Really? So it's kind of the same thing. Now I'm sneezing four times. That's when it hit me that I finally realized it's because I forgot to take my allergy medicine and I just took it. So hopefully life will get better for me. <laughs> Speaking of current looks, 
I am currently sitting with a bunch of different stickers on my face for my pimples. One of the most beautiful things as I've been telling you about my journey getting off of birth control after being on it for like 15 years has been that my hormones all over the place. I think the first month I could not tell which emotions were mine and which weren't. I still can't tell sometimes. I'm like, is this because of my hormones or am I actually experiencing these emotions? So it's still been confusing. I'm now, I just finished my first period off of birth control. I have no idea when the second one comes because I no longer have my birth control to tell me. But the beautiful thing is that I've recently gained 10 pounds. I'm one of those lucky people that lost weight getting on birth control. And now I get to be one of the lucky people that's gaining weight, getting off of it. I've been eating the same. So now I actually have to watch my diet, which I've never done in 30 years of being alive. So I've been kind of trying to do that. My worst habit is eating at night. That's the only way I'm able to fall asleep. So my friend actually just recommended to try to do this type of meditation on YouTube where you fall asleep to the sound of someone telling you that you're not actually hungry. <laughs> so she said supposedly it worked for her. So I'm going to try those out and I'm going to report back next week. So we'll see if it helps. I hope so. So aside from the weight gain, I also now have started to get acne. Yes, it's so exciting. And I've, I've briefly talked about it, but like that's been pretty cool, you know, as an adult to experience childhood acne again. It's like, yes, go puberty <laughs> at 30 years old. So now, but it's not acne where it's just it's so obvious. It's more like in random places on my body that I didn't know you can get acne. So right now I have different pimple stickers on my face, and on my neck. So you know what? I'm going to take a quick little photo for you guys. So the people who listened to my episode early will know exactly what the photo that I will be posting about. And I'll even make sure to not, maybe I won't even caption anything. So people will be confused why I thought it was a cute photo to post of me with my dirty hair, no makeup, and just pimple stickers on my face. So you guys will know what's going on. But, you know, thank God for my amazing personality, I think. <laughs> Before we get into pop culture briefly, there was something that I wanted to mention. A, yes, I'm going to Greece next month. It's going to be the first time in my life I've ever been to Greece. So I'm really excited. It's for my friend's wedding. And this past weekend was her bachelor party. It was so crazy. And we actually had a celebrity appearance that was with us for the whole weekend. So random. And he made out with all the girls except me. But I have a funny story of why that happened. But I will continue the suspense until next week. Next week, you'll get to find out exactly who this celebrity appearance was and what happened the weekend of her bachelor party. The point I couldn't even post most of it because it was so rated R. We were like naked the whole weekend, pretty much. So tune in next week, actually with my special guest to close the month of mental health, Bella Thorne. So I'm really excited for that one. Okay, now onto some pop culture. So the big news over the weekend was the huge Dolce & Gabbana brand trip to Italy where Kourtney Kardashian also just happened to get married. And I'm not just making a joke. It's basically a lot of people were speculating over the weekend that it felt like it was a Dolce & Gabbana was the unofficial dress code to the Kravis wedding. And then after that, it has been since confirmed that Kourtney did have a sponsored wedding. But before anyone wants to talk shit about that, Let's be honest, weddings are so expensive and people spend, I don't know, five years of their wait. I mean, people spend over $100,000 more on their weddings for one day. 
So you want to tell me that if Dolce & Gabbana didn't offer to sponsor your wedding, you would say no? <laughs> Stop lying. We would all say yes. Especially, imagine being so rich where you don't even need the money. And then you get lucky enough to be offered a free wedding. Come on, anyone in that position would say yes. So I think it's always funny when people walk around being like, well, I would never do that. Mm, yeah, yeah, you would if you had the chance. Let's be honest. Speaking of dress codes, Northwest made headlines when people called out Kim for letting her eight-year-old daughter wear a corset to one of the wedding events. So if you haven't seen the pictures, it was basically North was one, wearing a t-shirt under the corset and two, wearing a coat over it. So this is just another example of people looking for any reason to be mad at the Kardashians. But also, do we really think Kanye West's daughter asked for permission before choosing her outfit? Because I do not see that happening. That girl runs that household. Thank you. And moving on from that wedding, earlier this week, Liam Payne made headlines for allegedly cheating on his long-term fiance, Maya Henry. That's pretty sad. Basically, on Sunday, a woman named Aliana Mala posted pictures of Liam wrapped around her and of them holding hands on Instagram. To make things worse, these pictures got picked up by fan accounts who assume the woman was Maya and then started reposting the pictures and tagging his fiance in these pictures. So apparently... Maya and Eliana look really alike. So, you know, to Liam's defense, maybe he got confused. So then Maya confirmed that it was not her in the pictures when she started commenting, asking these accounts to not tag her in pictures of her fiance wrapped around another woman. It also seems like being tagged in these pictures is probably how Maya found out about Liam's new woman. So that's heartbreaking. So if you thought you were having a bad week, maybe Maya takes the cake. And now finally, this is for my Bachelor Nation people. Bachelor Nation made headlines this weekend. Believe it or not, it was actually positive for the first time. <laughs> Kidding, not for the first time, but it was positive headlines. Bachelor alumni Becca Tilly and Haley Kiyoko finally confirmed their four-year-long relationship. There has been... So much speculation over these two over the last four years. And finally, their relationship has been revealed and confirmed in Haley's Bachelor-inspired music video for a new song for the girls. And to Becca's surprise, people have been nothing but supportive of this and nothing but really supportive of their relationships. I think that that was probably really amazing for her. I don't know why she thought it wouldn't be, but I... You know, I guess I don't really know Bachelor Nation, but kind of like amazing great news going into June, which is all about gay month. So I'm very excited for that month as well. Anyway, they also made a public appearance at Jojo Fletcher's and Jordan Rogers wedding over the weekend, which I'm actually really surprised, not by the fact they made a public appearance, by the fact that these two were married already. Like I follow Jojo. I genuinely thought they were already married. So shocker to me. <laughs> Jojo is actually one of the only bachelorettes who's still with her final pick, let alone actually married to him. So we're obviously all rooting for them and congratulations on the wedding. And that's that. I hope you enjoyed this little segment and I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's a very deep one and I'm excited to introduce my friend Daniel where he's going to discuss life after cancer.
Love you, besties. Today, my guest is Daniel Brukim. He's one of my friends, my friends for years, and he's also the co-founder and co-CEO of FabFitFun. Yes, the FabFitFun that you've seen every single Bachelor alumni talking about on Instagram. Daniel and his brother, Michael, started FabFitFun in 2010. So literally over the past 12 years, we've all fallen in love with the gold standards of subscription boxes. They are technically, I would say, the OG of subscription boxes and the ones that started the trend, in my opinion. I don't think I've ever seen subscription boxes before Fat Fit of Fun. I think, I think there were a few, but we were one of the first and really one of the few. The trending ones. Yeah, exactly. And we did more lifestyle categories. Everyone was really focused on beauty. Yeah, no one was really getting subscription boxes prior, in my opinion, based on what I've seen in the trends. Like, no, it wasn't like a normal thing. Now I feel like it's such a normal thing. And when you think of a subscription box, I only think of Fat Fit Fun. I don't think of anything else. Well, I, I love to hear that. But that's not why I actually have Daniel on today. So... We're focusing this month on mental health and it's all about mental health. So I want to bring my friend Daniel on to discuss something that most of us in our age haven't personally experienced, but it's something so big that we all have a loved one or have known someone that's gone through this, yet it's not talked about enough, in my opinion. This is something that happened to Daniel during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, not only was mental health already at an all-time low, but for Daniel, the pandemic wasn't the worst thing that he had to kind of endure or get used to. So Daniel was writing high on his business success when he was diagnosed with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. It's a cancer that starts in your white blood cells and then it grows in your lymph nodes and then it quickly takes over your whole immune system. So to put in terms of how rare this is for someone our age, the average age of people diagnosed with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma is 64 years old. And Daniel is diagnosed, obviously, much younger than that. He's our age. And this diagnosis has definitely changed how he's approached mental health ever since. So sorry for the overly long <laughs> intro, but welcome. Thank you, Violet. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you also for feeling so comfortable and safe to talk about something so personal, because this is something that happened to you fairly recently, you would say. Yeah, it is fairly recent. And it's something I didn't even realize until I was actually driving over here was that I was taken in the hospital exactly two years to this day with stomach pain. You know, that was kind of the beginning of my cancer journey. And thank God I'm here alive and well today. And I think from my perspective, it it was you know important for me now to start speaking about my own experiences because when I was going through treatment, when I wasn't sure how things would turn out, not that you know you're always going to have some questions and no one has perfect visibility into their health and their future, but when things were looking a little more scary or unpredictable, one of the things that really helped me kind of go through my days was hearing about other survivors and how they were able to kind of go on with their lives and move on and do great things. And I think there's not enough of that out there, giving people hope. And for me, reading stories of people who were lymphoma survivors gave me a little bit of the willpower to kind of fight and really inspired me to move forward with my life and has inspired me since, you know, I've been done with treatment to kind of resume a lot of the things I was doing previously and, you know, also change certain things. But that's why I think it's so important to be out here today talking about my own cancer journey, my own experience to that, you know, one little boy or girl or adult who might be going through it too, to be able to hopefully listen to this. And if it even impacts one person, helps them kind of move forward and have a more positive attitude about 
the potential for what is a normal life after having something so severe and life-threatening happen to you is my hope. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm here to share my story today. Do you know by any chance what the survival rate is for this type of cancer? There's a broad spectrum of, of lymphomas. You know, there's, there's Hodgkin lymphomas, diffuse large B-cell lymphomas. There's all sorts of different ones. I think depending on the type of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, you have different survival rates. It, in diffuse large B-cell being kind of worse than Hodgkin's, but then there's other lymphomas that can be worse than those. And then there's slow-growing ones that don't really get you right away. But over time, you okay. end up getting sick. But in, you know, in my own diagnosis, I had what was considered a pretty aggressive diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And so the doctors initially, and I think part of it was they wanted me to get treatment right away and move, but they told me the survival rate was like in the 50s to like 60% at the time today is the dates a day where you were actually on the way to the hospital where you had bad stomach aches or stomach issues and you were on the way to the hospital how bad were they that you thought what was the period of time that you were kind of not feeling well or you thought something was off until you finally realized that you have to go to the hospital yeah well it's hard to pinpoint it exactly because i had been you know six months before that i was having some stomach problems and i'd always had some acid reflux and i went to the doctor and he's like oh this is just probably acid reflux and even looking back, they're never going to go tell you like, oh, this is the moment in which you had cancer or this is the moment in which oh, we should have known or anything like that. So you can't really answer those questions perfectly. But then I also got sick in the, the January before I got cancer pretty severely and I was in bed with like seemed like a flu that was really horrible. And I always wonder if that was it. But I'd say the month or so before I got cancer, I was starting to have more and more stomach problems. And then the day of going to the hospital, I was just having excruciating pain in my stomach to the point where like I couldn't move. I was vomiting and I was like, oh God, like something's really wrong. And in my head, I was like, oh, maybe it's like appendicitis or something like that. That could be like what this is. The last thing from my mind was like, oh, I have a cancer diagnosis, but I went to the hospital and... Did you go to the emergency or was it just a doc? You made a doctor? No, no. I went straight to the emergency room. Okay. Yeah. I went, I went straight to the emergency room and... You know, I told them I was having incredible amount of pain. They said, okay, well, that there was like a mass in my stomach and that it was creating intestinal blockage. So the, what was causing the, the stomach pain, they didn't know if it was cancer or what kind of cancer it was. Of course, you can have masses that are not necessarily quote unquote cancer per se, I think. They didn't know exactly what it was at the time, but it wasn't like, oh, you have cancer for sure. That's mm-hmm. not what they tell you. They're like, you have a mass, right. we're going to hospitalize you. And because there's a blockage, that means you can't really eat food. So they had to remove the mass. And then they basically hospitalized me until my doctor there, who's this wonderful doctor at Cedar sinai Dr. Alex Ganji, who was a surgical oncologist, she came and, and she saw me the next day uh, once the scan was done and said, hey, you know, I could operate on you tomorrow or we can wait till Monday. So it, it was actually very fast moving, right? It's like, oh, okay, well, operating they on- They scanned you, something's off, let's hospitalize you. Okay, maybe we should go to surgery. But again, no one, because it's something like similar happened to my mother yeah. where we thought she had cancer, yeah. but then it turned out she has Crohn's disease. Yeah. But it took a while with like all the testing and being hospitalized to figure that out. Yeah, it takes a while because what, what happens is they do like the surgery and they remove the mass and then they have to send the mass off to get a pathology. So like, it's not like you look at it with the naked eye and you know what it is. Like they have to look at it under a microscope with a lab. Sometimes they do some DNA testing, you know. So you stayed in the hospital during that time? Yeah. Well, one, I had to stay in the hospital because... I couldn't eat food and I was in a tremendous amount of pain because I had this stomach surgery and then they didn't know if you stay in the hospital until, at least in my case, until I resumed normal bowel movements, which I think took a week or two. 
Uh, oh, wow. So yeah. you were already at this point in the hospital for a week or two. Yeah, I was in the hospital for like a week or two after surgery because the mass was pretty big. It was like 10 centimeters after it shrunk up. That's crazy. Right? So it's like a big mass blocking my stomach. So then after surgery, you were like, okay, the worst part is done at this point. I'm going to get better. And then how did the conversation go with the doctor where they decide to give you the diagnosis? Well, first, they don't know, right? So they, they used like a mass. They told me that it could look like lymphoma, like was the initial kind of like after a couple of days, like it looks like lymphoma, but we're not sure. So we're going to send it off for more tests. Then they sent it to the National Institute of Health and they're like, it's it's actually not Burkitt lymphoma, it's diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which kind of slightly changed my treatment option. The surgery was just the first part of the treatment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Right. So the, it kind of, in a sense, you kind of already had an idea that's potentially cancer. It didn't hit me right away. Like, you know, you're going to the hospital. I'm 38. I'm not thinking, oh, I think maybe after a couple of days, I realized, oh, yeah, this is like, I probably could have cancer. But then you had the surgery and you probably assumed that maybe it was removed. So then after surgery, when the doctor came to you and told kind of how did that conversation go when they were like, OK, this is. Well, once they once you know it's lymphoma, you know, what was your well, I think there was actually. I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe this is happening to me. I think there's a little bit of just like shock and denial at first. Right. Um, and then like, you know, that that shock and denial. But like there was also kind of like people telling me like, oh, thank like it was almost like, thank God it's lymphoma because it could have been other cancers right. that are like much more difficult to treat. And then it could have been something like worse. It could have been better. But like overall, in the grand scheme of things, because lymphoma is considered a curable cancer. Yeah. They were happy that it was that as opposed to some cancers that albeit curable were more difficult to treat potentially. The diagnosis itself was just like shocking. It's definitely changed me as a person in a lot of different ways. I think the surgery in that part and going to the hospital, that's all happening so fast. As soon as you have time and you're sitting down, you're like, oh my God, what's happening to me? And you're going through treatment and then your body starts getting weaker and weaker as you're getting you know, uh, larger and larger doses of chemotherapy in my case. Did that, the chemotherapy happen right after like once you guys realized the, the chemo treatment just starts immediately they wanted to start chemo as fast as possible mm -hmm. with a caveat that they can't start chemo until you're healed from the surgery mm -hmm. so as soon as i had healed from the surgery which gave me enough time to like interview a few doctors within a month after i, I pretty much started chemotherapy yeah did you have any moments that you found it hard to stay positive or to look in the bright side during your chemo treatment? Yeah, I had a lot of moments <laughs> where I found it hard to stay on the bright side. And um, you did know, you keep that a secret or were you kind of very open about it? And were, were you telling people like how, how uh, was that with telling your friends and family? I think initially we didn't want to shock and upset everyone and more like as soon as you tell people everyone starts checking in and how are you doing and that's all also that's overwhelming i didn't feel like there were good days you know like there are better days and worse days in some ways but there were no like good days like so there were bad days and worse days but no good days yeah and so like for someone who hadn't also 
really dealt with like any mental health issues throughout my entire life. I, you know, full on went to anxiety and depression and like, you know, all I could do was read about lymphoma, lymphoma studies, survival rates, trying to figure out like, am I going to die? And you know, that really consumed all my thoughts and what doesn't help it's not like, you know, as you're going under, undergoing chemo, like your, your first chemo is, is bad, but then progressively I, I was on a, a, a very dose intensive therapy, which means that like, as I continued down the course of chemo, they increase the amount of chemo they give me. And it was a very, very strong chemo. I become really weak. They're also giving me steroids. My white blood cell counts going to zero. You know, I actually got pneumonia twice during my chemotherapy, which like at the time when you're getting pneumonia and your white blood cell counts are zero, there's a actually a high likelihood that you could die. Yeah. You said that at one point you were in the hospital and you had pneumonia and you have you're going through your cancer treatment that you literally just thought you were going to. I, I didn't. You, were, you, you know, nervous. it's so funny. I, I was like, I don't think I was as impacted by that because when I was going through the treatment, it never occurred to me that the treatment is going to kill me. Like right. I was always much more scared of the cancer coming back, right? Because at a certain point I entered remission and I was like, give me as much chemo as humanly possible. Remission means it's when you finish chemo? No, remission means there's like no evidence of cancer in your body. How long? So how long so, so were the, you going through chemo? I went through chemo for about seven or eight months, I'd say. Okay, you yeah. went through chemo for seven, eight months during the pandemic. Like yeah. there's some virus that's going around. No one knows. Yeah. The death rate is large from that. And then you're going through your own thing with this. So yeah. seven to eight months chemotherapy. What happens during chemotherapy? Because obviously with the steroids and all that, I know people who've had it, yeah. different types of cancer. So what's some of the things that happen aside from being really weak? It's what is it? Loss of hair? What, oh, what, what things like are you the going physical, through? Yeah. The, the, like it's funny because I, I, I think the physical stuff is bad. It's bad, but for me, it was nowhere near, when I look back at that time, like nowhere near as bad as like the mental challenges of the cancer diagnosis and the corresponding therapy. Meaning like the mental challenges caused by the diagnosis and the therapy itself, like the, the chemotherapy, yeah. the surgery. The, the, so the, you're, this. you're focused less on the, on the physical stuff, what's happening, because yeah. you're just the mental health. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, exactly. The physical stuff was bad. Like, you know, I lost... 50, I'd have to go back and look at the charts, 40, 50, maybe 60 pounds. I lost all my hair, all my eyelashes, all my eyebrows. There were days where I could barely walk. I don't know if all chemo is the same, because I mentioned like I had a pretty intensive chemotherapy. There was days where I couldn't even get out of bed. And so, and then, you know, I was lucky to avoid some of the nausea, but the mental health aspect, I think is, is at least for me, and it was a little more complicated than the, uh, the physical elements. What helped you stay positive during that process? I don't want to pretend that I stayed super positive during that process. It was very hard for me. What helped me get through it was I was very, very lucky to have an amazing support system, starting with my parents who you talk about like your heroes in life. Like I, I literally describe my, my parents as my heroes. You know, they were there for me every inch of the way, every doctor's visit, every moment. My brother, Michael, uh, his wife, Charlotte, a lady I was dating at the time, who I'm no longer with, like, but who was there for me, you know, in such a profound way that, it, you know, I'm forever grateful for her presence. The luck I had in that situation was, you know, and of course there were moments where I was like more positive than not. Like you got good news, like when you did a scan and they're like, okay, there's no evidence of cancer in your body. That was a great moment. 
you know, obviously at the end of therapy, it was very nerve wracking to do that like final scan and see like, okay, yeah, there's no evidence of cancer. You know, those were positive moments along the way. In a few years, I'm sure I'll look back at the time I got to spend it with my family and the closeness I felt with them. And, and there's a tremendous amount of value in that. But like, for the most part, it was, it was hard to stay positive during that time. And like, I, I was lucky also to have also doctors who were keeping me positive. And, you know, sometimes doctors also say things like you don't want to hear. And that was hard to hear some of those things. Like, you know, when you're hearing your survival rate possibilities and like the reason I was lucky was because all my treatment things just kept going well, where like, oh, after surgery, if you looked at me on a scan, it didn't look like there appeared to be any cancer. Although, you know, because it's lymphoma and it's a blood cancer, you have to treat it with chemo because presumably if you don't, it will come back. And there's microscopic disease and there was a little bit of something going funky on with my bone marrow that they were never able to tell me so they couldn't tell me if i had it there or not but after a second scan it continued to show no evidence of cancer and then i had to do some what i call bonus chemotherapy after my main therapy but after my main course of therapy ended they did a final scan and a bone marrow test and i was also cleared of cancer at that point so i had good milestones along the way that kind of said like as long as things keep going on track then you should be okay but like also like your odds were like 50, 60%, like, you know, from the initial diagnosis. When you were going through all that, what were you, were you trying, how was it to juggle such, you have such a successful business, FabFit Fun. I mean, it's huge. Was it hard then to be able, were you still working or did you have to take time away from working? I was too weak to work at a certain point. I think in the beginning, like maybe I'd engage in some conversations. I think my brother, who's my co-founder, my co-CEO, he'd keep me abreast of like the major things. But like, I also, you know, I think one of the things that like, you know, like how did this change you? Like one, I'm a lot more empathetic towards people who are having sort of mental health issues, you know, having never experienced them and all of a sudden experience them in such a profound way. You just, when you're depressed or you're anxious, you kind of lose interest in all other things, right? And I just kind of lost, you know, sadly, uh, or, but maybe it's just realistic. Like I just, it just wasn't my top priority or my focus. And I was very fortunate enough to have a team and, and my brother and other people who could really, you know, kind of offload that burden for me in a way. And, you know, I, I think I, on a high level, I still stayed in touch and involved with things as much as I could or, or wanted to, but I was really fortunate enough to be able to kind of put that aside and fully focus on my health. Yeah, um, and my recovery. And uh, that's just my top priority at the time. I wasn't really thinking about much else. Now you're more empathetic to people who do go through mental health issues. Yeah, and also just health understand. issues in general, right? Yeah. Like as a young person who really never had health issues, yeah. you kind of take it for granted. And you don't understand how debilitating it is. And there's something that someone told me that really resonated with me. I really understand. It's like healthy people, they want everything, right? And someone who's unhealthy only wants one thing, Aww. right? And so like, yeah. it, I totally get that and why you know you know health is wealth and at the end of the day it's not the only thing that matters but if you don't have your health you really don't have anything not everyone will experience what you've experienced battling cancer or they haven't yet but almost everyone does know someone who has gone through something like this do you have any advice how they can support a loved one that is currently battling cancer i don't know if everyone who's battling cancer goes through it the same way that i did so I don't know if there's one right set of kind of instructions for like, oh, here, right. like here's how to treat a cancer patient. I think some common things I've heard is like giving them hope for a future is really positive because like, you know, sometimes cancer patients won't do that for themselves. And so, you know, when people would talk about, oh, let's go do this in the future, let's go do that in the future. I always kind of appreciated that. I think 
Oh, uh, so making future plans. Kind of, yeah. Like it, okay. it gives you like, oh yeah, I think that was that was nice. I think even just being present for them, like just listening. Like, you know, I don't think you can necessarily say or do anything that is going to help them if they're struggling. I, I don't know if there's like a silver bullet that's going to help like them with anything. But like, yeah, like the fact that what in a way made life, you know, even though it was very difficult, beautiful in the moment that I was going through all my cancer treatment was I really never felt alone. And so uh, the fact that, you know, my parents were there, I mentioned my brother in Charlotte, uh, I mentioned the woman I was dating during that period. Also, you know, one of my best friends who, you know, Violet, my friend, Michael Hayward, just to name a few. And it wasn't just them. The network was extended of people who just, you know, come and see me or call me or, you know, just try to come see me outside. And, And this was, you know, during a very, very complicated time, obviously, because of COVID, it was harder to see people. Yeah. But the fact that I was, you know, so overwhelmed with the outpouring of love and support from so many people who would make any effort to come just see me, even if it was outside from 10, 15 away, just to say hi, you know, to the point where I had to kind of say like, listen, guys, like, please, like right now, I just don't want to see people as much. Yeah, yeah. It's like hard for me to see people, you know, it meant a lot. And just like, there's some merit in like being preoccupied and being distracted and like, I'd watch a lot of sports and that helped me and like just having those distractions yeah. and movies and I can't tell you how many shows it went, it went through with, I with think my it parents. Is, it's yeah. really hard when someone goes through something like that because you just don't know how to approach it. You don't want to be overbearing. You don't know if it's a secret because I remember when our yeah. mutual friend Nicole, when she told me and I, I had no idea, I... I genuinely kind of froze. I didn't know. I'm like, am I supposed to reach out? Is it too late now? Yeah. Does he not want to talk about it? Is it a secret? It was just like all these thoughts in my brain. And and, and I think a lot of times some, sometimes people think like that. And instead of just reaching out and just being like, hey, just thinking about you checking in, which I think a lot of people would appreciate. A lot of us don't realize that that's what we're supposed to do. So then we just kind of say nothing because we don't know what the right reaction is. Yeah. Because I think the way you and I connected was more, I was asking you for business advice. In the back of my head, I knew what, what happened. Then you mentioned it and I, I remember I froze because I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sorry you went through that. How was that? I didn't know how to approach it. So then I just didn't say anything until you actually said it. But like listening to what you have to say now made me realize like, oh, I should have just like reached out just to check in on, you know, that I didn't do that because I, I didn't want to overstep. Yeah, I, I think, think it, a lot of people experience I that. I think a lot of people experience it. I, I saw that in a few cases and, and then I think your general instincts are right. I always appreciated people like reaching out and saying like, I know or I heard or I this or I that. I think, you know, there's a little bit of a point where like there's a privacy issue there. So like you're not 100% sure. So sometimes like, like if I were to give advice, like if you hear someone is, you might want to reach out to like a close friend of theirs or like a family member and say like, is there anything you can do? Can I talk to him about it? Can I reach out? And then they can kind of be more like a conduit. Yeah. And like the other thing that like family can do, you know, because it is so overwhelming with the outpouring of support and like questions and people wanting to check in. You know, one thing my brother did was he kind of regularly updated people on my behalf mm. so that I didn't have to go through that myself. And I think that was something that was like another super positive thing. So it's like kind of keep them feeling not alone, distract them, do fun things, try to create a joyous environment as much as possible, even though it's very difficult. I think if you can minimize some of the burdens they have, that's like obviously a huge benefit with my business. I had that. I was very fortunate also with some of the communications with all these people who really want to like know what's going on and wanted in some ways you love it and you appreciate it. But at the same time, when you're so sick, it's like, oh, you're getting another text message. You're like, I just, I don't even know how to respond to this right now. Yeah. You know, like I'm like, 
It's like, okay, how, how are things? You know, like, I don't, you know, like I'm sitting here. I think I'm dying. Yeah, Leave me alone. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, just kidding. Yeah, it's like. It's, it's, Bitch, what do you think? Yeah, what like, do you think? Things are okay. Yeah, you know, what are you Amazing. Do? I'm going to Disneyland. What the fuck do you think? Yeah, you're, you're, you know, okay. you want to put a strong face on too. So like part of it was like to try to put a strong face on, but it's it's hard to do it because you don't want the people, you, you realize also that the people around you are suffering and. Right, because everyone, some people were getting sick with COVID and things like that, or no, suffering I'm saying mentally. Like, like no, like your fam- like it's cancer doesn't just impact the individual, right? It impacts everyone around. Yeah, you. like impacts like my mom, my dad, my brother, Charlotte, my friend Mike, you know, so on. It's everyone the, down that the line. Person you were dating. Yeah, the person I was dating, and it's like you know, yeah, it impacted everyone. Uh, so you weren't trying to get better just for you. you were trying to get better for you and for everyone around you. Well, of course. I mean, for everyone, it's better. You know, yeah, yeah. of course. And like, yeah, and you don't want to be sit there and be sad. But like sometimes that's what I realized about mental health issues is like you don't want to sit there and be sad and be depressed. But you actually just can't help it. Like, yeah, you, yeah I was like, like I couldn't like, help it. Like, yeah. I couldn't, you know, I was like, I got cancer. Why did this happen to me? Why did I not know if I was going to live or die? there's a lot of these questions and like, you know, I was in, in many ways, as you said, I was like riding high, you know, as, you know, building a great business and all these things that now have sort of come back online for me. But like, you know, I was like, okay, like having fun with my friends, socializing, I had, you know, there's obviously things I would change about how, you know, I live my life a little bit, like, you know, being a little more healthy, taking certain things a little less seriously, you know, minimizing, you know, arguments to the extent possible with loved ones and close people in my life. Like, sure, there's things I would change, but for the most part, I had a great life to feel like that was like slipping through my fingertips or so uncertain or like how could this happen to me is, is very hard yeah i'm sure yeah so was going through remission when you found out that there's no more cancer in your body was that one of the best days of your life or no. is this one of the best days of your life it, is right now one of the best days this of your is life? A, every day is a good day of my life right <laughs> this but is the best day this is the best one because i'm here with you Violet. yeah is this this is it this is this peak i'm peaking right now <laughs> as we speak i'm i, I, I feel like that it was more like you're done with treatment and something people don't realize is like when you're in the cancer treatment world right you have this whole support system of like doctors and check-ins and blood tests and so on and so forth. And like you're fighting cancer. Then one day it had some treatment after that day, but like one day it's just like stops and it's like, okay, go back to your life. Right. How do you start to, you know, it's a kind of like a, uh, you know, you crawl, then you walk, then you run. Right. Yeah. Like no one gives you like a playbook. There's a book I read called like picking up the pieces after a cancer diagnosis. And it really talks about like the journey of like slowly reclaiming different parts of your life. And yeah, you were so used to being in treatment, going through all that being, it became a, it became your part of your routine. And now it's like, okay, you're better. Goodbye. And you're kind of like, what do I do? Yeah. And, and you're not, you're not like, it takes a while, right? Cause it takes like six months or a year to recover from the chemo itself. And you know, there's that whole process, but there's also like the mental recovery. So there's the right. physical recovery, there's the mental recovery. And then there's like, you have all these questions, like how does this change my life? Should it change my life? How much should it change my life? Like, how do I want to be now that like I have a potentially a second chance at life? Like, these are all things that like kind of cross your mind. After remission, I'm sure you may still have had some bad days. Like when you were having bad days or not a perfect day, do you suddenly start to feel guilty when you're not appreciating life to the fullest every I single think day? Now that's more of a thing now that it's further in my rear view mirror. And I think that one year landmark from finishing my treatment and being in remission for like a, a year and now like coming on two years in October, that'll be like another major, major milestone. I think now the further I get away from it, like when little things bother me, I'm like, oh, like 
this is nothing like who cares right yeah you know but like right afterwards no like i was still like very concerned about like is it coming back is it not like the first six months first year like the checkups there's a lot of anxiety in that first year i'd say after that like you're just kind of like okay now you're like okay well now i think i'm i'm here i'm gonna hopefully live has it changed your physical habits and your mental health habits? Well, yeah, it's definitely changed my physical habits. From a dieting perspective, I went through like a no meat phase. I missed protein and I think some moderate amount of protein is good. Although I, I've reduced my overall consumption of it. So like the diet stuff I'm still working on. I, I'm not sure what the exact answer is. And I think it's a journey, but definitely very conscious about my health. I drink a lot less. The number one thing on my schedule every week is like at least working out a few times. Yeah. And it's like, no matter what I do, I will get, and I hope it stays this way. I hope I never change it. It's like three, maybe four workouts in a week. And mm. it comes equal to any other sort of important thing on my schedule. I used to, you know, have cigarettes on occasion, smoke here and there, and definitely have not touched a cigarette since. I don't want to say I'm like devoid of, of some bad habits, but like, you know, of course there's some bad habits, but like for the most part, I try to lead a really healthy lifestyle. And the bad That's habits, good. like I might puff on an e-cig that my friend has every now and then. And just like, I'm like, why am I doing this disgusting thing? Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. But one thing that we were discussing that you got into that you said kind of helped you and there's there's a lot of research behind it and people are trying to push it more yeah. is psychedelics as in mushrooms and things like that. There's research about it that it can actually help with depression and things like that. And that's what people are pushing it to be legalized. Like I'm actually, I'm personally yeah. into chocolate mushrooms because for me, I, I won't touch anything that's not earth-based. I'm yeah. so LA, I'm like crystals, today's a, tonight's a full moon. Yeah. only earth type of drugs <laughs> is the only thing i would do but i'm not i don't i don't drink i don't do drugs but i'm into yeah. mushrooms and chocolate mushrooms in general but do you think that in some ways it it was something that was helping you get through your cancer were you well, taking so, it during your cancer no d during my treatment yeah during my treatment I, yeah I, I was not taking any sort of psychedelics I didn't want to do anything that was like sort of off the beaten path right. of like what the, you know, it's like yeah. there's not enough research to know how that could impact chemo or anything like that. But it helps with mental health. Were yeah. you starting to dabble with it after remission? Was it helping you? Definitely. I did want to take some of my mental health issues on head on. I went to Berkeley, right? So like in college, like had experimented a little bit with psychedelics and had some like profound experiences during that period and like really put them away for the most part until later in life on occasion having done them. You know, after my cancer therapy, you know, I was like, oh my God, like there's such an immense amount of trauma that I've gone through mentally. And I mentioned, I, I turned to someone who had never taken pharmaceutical drugs. I was taking Lexapro while I was getting cancer therapy. And I was also uh, on occasion taking Ativans at night to help with my anxiety so that I could sleep. I really, for better or worse, not in a believer. And, and while they, they helped a little bit with like some of the the mental health issues I was dealing with and calming down the sort of like constant rumination about death potentially. I was someone who didn't want to live my life on antidepressants. It's just like I had never done them before. 
I don't believe there was like some sort of like chemical imbalance in my mind. It was like a very acute thing that happened to me followed by like intense amounts of chemo and steroids and therapy, which weakened my body and weakened my mind. Your mind is not what it was. You're not like a sharp person when you're on chemo, you're, you're right. dull, like, you, yeah. can't, you know, and you're not thinking clearly and like you're on top of it, you're dealing with all this trauma. So I wanted to get off the, and, and maybe they, so they, they put you, okay. They put you on, aside from all that, they put you on antidepressants, which I'm sure makes sense. I'm yeah. sure a lot of people go through cancer also get on antidepressants. Yeah. Obviously they're going to be depressed. They're yeah. scared for their lives. Yeah. Their life is going to change for the rest of their life. So they put you on antidepressants after a mission. You were just like, I don't want to be used to this drug, which actually when I was younger, yeah. again, can't relate to the cancer part, yeah. but when I was it's younger, okay. yeah. I, I did get, um, I got on antidepressants yeah. and I didn't like it either. Yeah. And I just decided I'm going to figure out how to live my life without it. Obviously it's not for everyone. Some people yeah. it really helps, but yeah. I didn't want to have another thing I could be addicted to. So I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And I, I don't want to even say that they were bad. I think they had a place. They really helped in that moment. Right. But you know, I think, I think when you, and look, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but when you look at the long term, like if people are on antidepressants for a long, long time, it not, doesn't necessarily help them forever. I think, you know, there's, there's work to be done and, and don't hold me to that. If anyone's listening to this podcast, I'm not a doctor, yeah, but like, you know, there's neither. obviously a tremendous amount of research now coming around like psychedelics, you know, their ability to treat like different sort of mental health related disorders, like depression, anxiety. Uh, so you want to get off of that and you want to try something more earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'd say what I did was I did a couple things. One, you know, obviously psychedelics can help with you know, the, the depression, anxiety, PTSD. You know, I was reading even like eating disorders, which I think, you know, stem from mental health issues, addiction. So there's a lot of like really good That's research really going cool. out in the benefits of psychedelics. And a lot of this is done in conjunction with like talk therapy. I wouldn't say I combine the two in the same way that like, you know, a lot of these studies do, but you know, because I kind of felt comfortable with the idea of psychedelics in general, you know, having learned a little bit about them while I was in college and, you know, had a few experiences. I was comfortable kind of diving back in. And then also I did also speak to therapists. You know, it's like funny. I had like an army of therapists during my chemotherapy. One was like a cancer therapist. The other was a rabbi who I just spoken to for many years on and off here and there and another lady who also helped me so I, I sort of a you know someone who didn't love to do a lot of therapy in my life you know I was like all of a sudden found myself and I've done some therapy but like yeah. you know like I'd been like I'd do it for a year and then like all right that was enough so I'm not someone who doesn't believe in therapy but I'm not someone who's like you need to always be in therapy either I found myself doing a lot of talk therapy but also I think what helped me is I did do some different psychedelics and it wasn't just mushrooms you know I did a little bit of ketamine therapy with a doctor in an assisted manner. Ketamine? Yeah, I did some ketamine. You know, I tried a few other things, you know, a little bit of MDMA therapy. MDMA? Yeah, because like they showed that like that really can be helpful. At least there's a few studies now that show that really helps with PTSD. And I found like the, the conjunction of these things, probably not in the most like structured or scientific manner with mushrooms being like probably the one that I experimented the most helped me really like grapple. Like, you know, I, I did a pretty intense dose of mushrooms and there was a lot of crying and a lot of emotion and you know thinking about death and, and all those things and wrestling with issues that that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise and then I would talk about those experiences with my therapist and it helped you bring a lot of those emotions to light I think it brought a lot to the yeah. surface it's hard because like part of it is like you know how do you get through things sometimes you know you don't you can't always deal with things so head-on this helped bring a lot out and I, I don't want to say that like I'm totally past all the the scars and the trauma but like I do think 
without those kind of great, you know, few psychedelic experiences and the, the, the sort of talk therapy and, and those things in conjunction. And, and I'm not sure how much the therapy helps or how much the psychedelics or it's one or the other. The Probably all of them. All together. I think it, it rapidly helped me move forward with my life in a way that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise expected to. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. It'd be very exciting to see how that evolves over the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And if it can really help people deal with their traumas, then I'm all for it. Is it helped yeah. me? So speaking of mental health and depression, all that, an article published in the National Library of Medicine 2014 claims that men with cancer experience higher levels of depression than women with cancer because of the way cancer can threaten ideas of traditional masculinity. Do you feel like that's something you struggled with? Because that's what I was thinking when you said sometimes you have to put on a happy face and all that. I do think sometimes with men, it's kind of in their nature to feel like they always have to be strong. So it's, maybe it's harder to go through things like this for sure there's a lot of things that are threatened about your masculinity when you go through cancer and cancer treatment one you lose all your strength you lose your hair you lose your kind of your vigor your energy your confidence actually and ability to do things and, and make change and effectuate change and as someone who'd been an entrepreneur i'd been someone who, who used to be making things happen mm -hmm. right and then all of a sudden to be in a situation where i felt like i had almost little control over what happened to me in terms of my life because I had cancer was very, very complicated. And I don't know if that's a, a masculine thing or a not an a masculine thing. thing. Yeah. Or an entrepreneur thing, but like definitely the loss of control, the loss of confidence in your ability to effectuate change and get shit done was very, very, very complicated. The other is like, there are like real physical side effects to cancer. They can raise concerns around fertility. Oh, right. Yeah. They can also raise some concerns around your libido. Your libido is definitely impacted by cancer treatment. Thankfully, in many cases, recover. I think in some cases, they don't recover, depending yeah. on the type of cancer you had. And thankfully, I'm feeling okay from a sort of feeling like a normal person with a normal sex drive again. But I, I know that there are many people who aren't. And I can imagine for many men, that's extremely complicated to, you know, not be you know, able to have sex or uh, things along those lines. And it's something that is not spoken about often enough. And I think definitely worth a worthwhile conversation to open that up. But I'd imagine I think that's that's kind of what that's getting at, mm -hmm. especially the libido part. You know, when you're going through treatment and you're recovering, you obviously don't have the energy. I think yeah. based on the fact, based on last week, we have, I interviewed someone that has to do the, an expert in mental health for men. Yeah. I think the main part has to do, in my opinion, is that women were so much more used to talking about our, our feelings and things like that. Not that men are not, but men yeah. are getting into it. But the whole thought of therapy, it's more common when women have been going to therapy. So I think it's when you feel helpless, I think that's based on all this research or shows that men struggle more. It's the feeling of helpless because you're supposed to be the man. You're supposed to be the caretaker. Yeah. It's all those emotions that you go through and you're kind of like, now you need help. And I think that's difficult and complicated in general for a lot of men who go through feeling helpless. Yeah. Based on how a lot of us were raised. That really resonates with me. I think like that, that goes back to kind of what I'm saying about the loss of control and not being able to do much. Like you do things like you can choose to get therapy, right? But you yeah. don't actually have control over the outcome. 
Yeah. Right. Or not that much control. That part is really, really tough. I was also looking up and I noticed that studies have shown that while men experience high levels of depression while fighting cancer, which we just discussed, these men are also at an increased rate of major depressive disorder, even five years post-treatment. For reference, about 17% of adults will suffer from major depressive disorder at one point in their life, and about 22% of men who have cancer are still at risk from major depressive disorder five years post-treatment. So they're obviously at a higher the percentage gets higher with men specifically. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's that men are still at this risk for major depressive disorder even after being cancer-free five years later? Well, I think it touches on a, a couple of things that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, not the expert, but like, you know, I think because men are expected to be strong, there's a fear of like opening up and being vulnerable and talking about the issues. Often people don't even know about the issues that men mm-hmm. struggle with, I think. You know, obviously, you know, I touched on a couple of things like, uh, you know, the, the sort of physical damage that that chemotherapy does and cancer therapy does, uh, you know, ranging yeah, I from mean, it makes sense with the libido and the um, um, fertility, fertility. Yeah. yeah, that's I mean, those are just like a couple of things and like and even having those things being put at jeopardy, I think can be very challenging for someone. I also think like just talking about like your feelings and being more open because, you know, I think women in society are encouraged more to talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. Maybe that means that like men in turn, like don't talk about how traumatic it was and how scary it was and how painful it was to be worried about dying all the time and, and live in that sort of a little bit of a hell. And like even just being able to acknowledge the fact that, hey, you know what, this was really hard for me. And like when I was going through this, like me being able to I think say like this was actually, no, it was, it was not it did not feel super strong, right? Mm-hmm. I felt very vulnerable. I felt very weak. I felt very scared. I felt very sad. Being able to say those things for me feels empowering and it feels like more real. And I'm not sure that a lot of men would handle it the same way. You know, I think that's why, you know, if you can't acknowledge like, hey, those are real things that happened to me, real feelings that I had, real things I have to process, real trauma that I need to think through then yeah, of course, if you don't acknowledge that and address it a little more head on, then yeah, it's going to have impacts on you many, many years right. later. And go to therapy. I mean, you said you had a couple of therapists during chemo, during remission. Yeah. So it makes sense. Like you decided to go seek help because you realize it's not just physical, it's your mental health deteriorating. And that was important for you. So I think that does make sense. It's probably for the men out there who go through those emotions where they're like, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this. I don't know how to talk about this. So then of course, five years later, they're still going yeah, if through you, it. If you're like a, in a really macho society, right? Yeah. You know, some people may look down on the idea of you seeing a therapist. Like, yeah. why do you need a therapist? Like, you're good. Like, you're fine. You're going to be good. You, you know, you're yeah. Like, different cultures are different. Yeah. I mean, growing up, that's definitely when I suggested the first time for me to go to therapy. My parents were like, why? Why would you need therapy? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I was like, have you met dad? <laughs> really? Is that, is that why you have like, daddy you, issues? You, hello, you look in the mirror. But but like, yeah, like, like some people, it takes a while to adjust. But like yeah. as society changes, people's thoughts of it change. Like my parents, yeah, their thoughts of mental health and all that they, under, they understand better. I mean, my father tries so hard now to understand me, and that's really mind blowing to me. Versus you know twenty years ago, yeah, when it was like sweep it under the rug and yeah, kind of move on and grit your teeth. And that's yeah, it. I mean, yeah. my dad yesterday randomly texted me. Well, he didn't write the words. It was a GIF that he sent me. It yeah. still means the same. But it was like, 
reminder that I love you very much and uh, have a beautiful day, something like that, which was so sweet, but I didn't see the text until that night. Yeah. So then I felt really bad that he like sent me something in the morning trying to be really sweet and I didn't see it until like 3 a.m. And then I was like, oh my God, dad, I love you too. So sorry to miss your text. And then he, um, sorry this morning he didn't say anything back so i don't know if i hurt his feelings or not i don't think i don't think you hurt his feelings but, no i don't yeah. think so but then i text him again love you he didn't say anything back. <laughs> that's, that's for me maybe to, you need uh, some therapy around <laughs> it but he, i know he loves me back so it doesn't yeah. matter I've, I've learned having obviously throughout discussion one thing that that i've noticed that yeah. seems very important is that having a support system is everything i think having a support system in general but specifically when you're going through such traumatic times like cancer having a support system is so essential did you notice any members of your from your support system struggling mentally during your cancer battle i was lucky i'm sure there were a few people who i think i wish they handled things a little bit differently during my cancer battle and probably not the right venue for that. You know, of course, there's like a couple people who are like, oh, I wish they just could have been there for me in a different way. But for the most part, I was very fortunate. I was very blessed that the people who were closest to me, I don't think could have handled it better. Now, I have no doubt that they dealt with their own series of mental challenges with the fact that like I got cancer, I'm sure for my mother, I'm sure for my father, I'm sure for my brother, I'm sure for my my sister-in-law, I'm sure for my best friend, friend or friends, you know, I'm sure they were emotional about it. I'm sure it was hard for them. I think it yeah. takes a toll on everyone around you. Obviously, the wor you take the worst toll, but it does take a toll on everyone around you because it's like you're constantly trying to also be strong for the person that's going through it. I mean, going through it with my loved ones who have gone through it, I personally for me, especially when I was younger, the last thing I wanted to do was make it about me or even cry in front of them because i don't want them to, to think i think they're gonna die tomorrow yeah so it's constantly needing to be strong and then you just feel depressed and sad for the rest of the day afterwards maybe that was just my experience no i think that's probably right i, I would imagine that everyone around me went out of their way to act strong in front of me and i know that wasn't easy for them even though they gave me a shoulder to cry on or lean on and, you know, hugged me and hugs helped a lot and all those things, they really tried to stay strong and positive. And I think that was a really good thing. Looking back now, when you had those moments that were really low and you felt like you may not make it, did you have any thoughts of something you wish you did that you didn't? Like, you know how sometimes people say when, if they're on quote unquote, not that you were on your deathbed, so I don't know what other analogy yeah. to give, but they're always like, I wish I <laughs> was with my family more. I wish I did this. I wish I didn't focus on work as much. Did you have any of those wishes? Uh, I or? mean, at the moment, no. Maybe like, oh, like, like, you know, sometimes I like joke, I wish my brother and I argued a little bit less, you know? Right. Like that was like the extent of it, but it wasn't like so such deep regrets i think like you know when i look back i was like okay going through cancer i wish i worried a little bit less you know because like what does worry do for you what does that when you're having those mental health issues it's just hard to control and you can't do anything about it and you know thank god i was able to work through them and mine was a little bit more of an acute kind of incident but yeah like you know at some level like you can't look at yourself with too harsh a lens yeah you know sometimes really bad things happen they're hard to deal with and you go through a traumatic time and the best you can do you do the best you can to, to move forward and put it behind you and i feel i feel comfortable with how i handled it and i'm at peace with the sort of ups and downs of it and you know i think there's still a part of me which hasn't totally integrated the experience because i think you you are a fundamentally different person in a lot of ways before and after 
a cancer diagnosis and kind of figuring out who you are now, having gone through that experience, I think is a process. And I think that's something that I'm still kind of working through. But like, you know, I think the start still a lot of my older former self are still there, but like there's just obviously new experiences that you integrate and you're always evolving. And I think, you know, that's a beautiful part of life and uh, hopefully always for the uh, as much as possible for the better. How did you celebrate your first year being cancer free? It sounds so crazy. I can't remember. I'm sure I did like a dinner with my family and then like shortly thereafter, I threw a big birthday party at my house last minute. I think you were there. Oh, I was there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think, so I yeah, missed, okay. it was like literally like, I think I... Oh, that was that was your first year I think year it was like post? maybe like a, a, a month after or so. And I was like, oh, let me like oh, get yeah. back to celebrating life again. And like, let me throw a birthday party. And I decided like the day of and all my friends pitched in and we had like a couple hundred people at my house. And like, you know, just like... Just have fun. Oh my God, it was there. And actually, if you guys listen to back to Nicole's episode, Nicole Benham, during work month, so that's last month, the NFT episode, we actually have a discussion where we talk about how her and I had a small little altercation and it actually happened at his house. What are you going to do now when you celebrate your second year of remission? I don't know. I haven't even, I haven't even thought about it yet. You know? Yeah. I'm sure I'll throw a big party. Do you have some life advice now, now that you're probably wiser and smarter than you were two years ago? Do you have any kind of life advice on taking life for granted? I'm sure I have plenty of different sort of life advice. I don't know if I have one kind of like go-to tidbit. I think the one thing is just cherish the the wonderful relationships you do have in life and really invest in them because at the end of the day, I think what was most meaningful and what I look back on most fondly, even during my darkest hours was the relationships that I had and the people that were there for me. And I'm sure uh, when I go back and look at my happiest hours, I think that the things I will cherish are also those very same relationships. And so I think never take your relationships for granted, the ones that mean a lot to you and always put time and effort and make time for the, the people you love and that love you. Oh, I love that. I agree. That is really sweet. That's true. Yeah, that's nice because through this whole time, obviously, you were fortunate enough to not worry about work as much because your brother, you guys share a business. But it, it is true. It seems like having a support system is so important. And we act like the people who do love us, like our family members, our friends, like it doesn't matter. So it's kind of like don't waste your time continuously saying that the people who love you don't count when they're the only ones that count. And I think that's it's kind of those moments where the, your support system is when you realize they're the only ones that matter. And a lot of times we take those people for granted. That makes sense. And you don't want to do that because they're the people who matter the most. So do you have anything else to add? Do you feel like there's anything I didn't ask you? No, I, you know, I think uh, this is great. I think for me being able to speak about, you know, my own journey with cancer in, in this kind of like open candid way in itself is a, a big moment. And uh, I'm glad I'm able to share uh, my story with you today. And uh, thank you so much uh, for having me here. So where can people find you? You can always email me. Uh, my email is daniel at fabfitfun.com. And I'm pretty responsive. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I've never, I've never, I don't mean to laugh. I just, <laughs> 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 Sorry. 
Sorry, because usually it's like, where can people find you? Okay, so like my YouTube channel, this and this. You're no. like, uh, so you can uh, email me. You can send a pigeon my way with uh, this. Uh, my pe- like it's just no, so you can email, honestly, you can, I mean, I'm, I'm not like a social media star by any stretch of the imagination, but you can email me if you want to follow my Instagram. You can as well. But more than that, I think if you want, subscribe to FabFitFun. Yes. I actually created a coupon code for $10 off your first box and uh, you should uh, join the uh, the membership uh, and the code is adulting so just go to fabfitfun.com and type in adulting and uh, get your first box amazing okay yeah so definitely email him if you have questions <laughs> uh, daniel at fabfitfun.com but yeah check out fabfitfun and you can get $10 off your first subscription box or your first month first box yeah uh, you, you can get $10 off your first subscription box using my code adulting so definitely make sure to use that code on fatfitfun.com um thank you so much you guys don't forget to subscribe don't forget to write a review if you enjoyed this episode dm me on almost adulting if you have any questions and yes i really hope this episode inspired you to be there for your loved one if they're currently going through something if you're currently going through something make sure to check in with the people who matter the most your support system and i wish you a beautiful day bye love you